Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and this has been my fifth, um, you know, rec- trying to record the intro because for some reason the guy that I've actually got on the show today keeps making me laugh, and I don't know why, other than he's a hilarious guy. But yeah, sorry, so it's Ed Mann here with my good friend Jason Marden. How you doing, Jason? Hi there, thanks. I'm uh, I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, well, I won't let the audience into too much of the dilemma that we've been in, like going through Google Hangouts, now we're on Skype to finally get on. It seems like I had a lot of problems with Audio Hijack. I thought that it was easy to do Google Hangouts on it, but it seems to be a bit of a pain. So, yeah, so anyway, we're back on Skype, reliable Microsoft product. Um, but yeah, so how's your week been, sir? I mean, it's almost the end of the week. You've been up to much? Um, it's been busy for me, uh, busy, you know, doing my software development for Smartology. Yeah, so, well, I should, I should actually probably, really sorry, this is very unprofessional to actually introduce you first. So I met Jason at university, University of Greenwich, we were both in the same year, um, and yeah, we did three years together. He had good fortune, the lucky guy to be with me for three years. Uh, we were both were doing uh, national, not national diplomas, that was BTEC national diplomas. We are both doing uh, undergraduate <laughs> courses at the uh, University of Greenwich in computer science, and yeah, really, I kind of thought, you know, get you on the show. I've been trying to get you on the show for a couple of, well, almost a year now. Uh, but then finally, today was the day that I was able to kind of twist your arm enough to get you on. Um, and so, yeah, so I suppose with the audience, what, how did you get into programming then? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, at one point, I did want to become a photographer, and I also have a keen interest in psychology. So that was another avenue I'm, I may have taken. Um, but actually, when I was at uh, school, uh, I would make flash animations, and, and uh, I, I learned to program sort of through Flash mainly. Oh, action with. scripts and all that tweening stuff and all that fun stuff. The good fun of action scripts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it was mainly with modifying games um, to perform the way I wanted them to perform, so just uh, changing the behavior. Um, but yeah, I well, when I got to university... Um, I was doing a, uh, a general computing uh, degree, and um, suddenly, yeah, after a little while, I just started to love programming, especially in Java, and um, and yeah, that's where I wanted to take my career, basically. Yeah, so, so you said that, you know, like at school, so that would be secondary school, um, you, you did primarily a yeah. lot of Flash stuff with ActionScript. Did you, were, you, were you familiar with any program, other programming languages before you went into university, or was that really the one you kind of, was your staple, your starter language? Well, to, to, be, to be honest, um, at school I never actually learned any programming. Um, it wasn't on the curriculum. Which it is now, which is really which good. Which is good, yes. That is a very good thing. From the age of like six or five or six or something now, the kids will be te- being taught how programming. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, obviously with the Raspberry Pi, um, you know, kids and, and whoever can develop um, C applications and, and Python if they like. So that, that that's a great opportunity for schools, I think. But yeah, unfortunately for me, I um, didn't really get the opportunity to program at school. Um, it was mainly through, uh, I, c- I could say, a friend of mine 
you helped me learn a bit of HTML and JavaScript and and um, and the Flash development. I I did it all in my spare time. So I wasn't too familiar with programming language before I came to uh, university. I must say. No, that's cool. I mean, like I think we all have, you know building up websites and releasing them and they're like your home page with probably well you're actually wearing a band where well, you you are a musician yourself so you're in a band so you probably had a band website and all the marquee tags and everything to make it look sprucing it up and everything oh i miss those days the working in prog a work in progress little gif animations <laughs> dreamweaver oh dreamweaver yeah you put in you drag and drop the whiskey of dragging and drop but then you realize the source code is it's quite insane so then you're like i probably really don't need to put this online i'm sure there's an easier way um but then the flash stuff you said that wasn't actually in the curriculum then that was stuff on the side that you wanted to get into with action script and really like learning how the games worked yeah yeah that, that was completely on the side um nothing to do with the school although the school did have the application they didn't use it which is a bit of a shame. Um, <laughs> so they just sh- they show it to you, but like, yeah, you won't get to use this. It's just kind of like it's there, but we're never going to touch it. Well, and we were promised. I think um, in my last year of school, we was promised that we were going to do a bit of programming, but uh, apparently the teacher didn't feel that she wanted to do that. Solid. There you go. That's a lovely. Uh, <laughs> I just don't feel like doing programming this year. Oh dear. But then, so you got to uni. And you, did, did, did you like, so you said that you thought, you know, maybe doing another couple of things, maybe photography or psychology. Um, and then, like, I suppose then, what was it that programming kind of at university really made you love it so much? I don't know. For me, it was uh, the control and the the ability to create things and, and, um, and you know, really, really customize things. And, and, yeah, I just, I really got into just really got into that to be fair. and um i just love for me i i enjoy creating applications which help people that's one of my passions i must say i suppose the first year was primarily a java kind because of, i mean the whole course really had a java kind of flavor to it didn't it it was very oh oh either that or c sharp there wasn't i mean there was a couple of other news you'd have gone down to like do some c and etc but primarily it was java and i suppose that must have been like your first kind of language that you got into wasn't only just a programming language and learning that syntax and, you know, kind of like procedural style, but also OO. Did you find it hard to kind of grasp both OO and programming? I mean, I put programming in like kind of a, you know, in quotes where it's, you know, a paradigm, you know, because normally how I got through, you know, got into it was through Pascal, Pascal, sorry. And, you know, it was a very procedural look and look, diving straight into an example of, you know, a Java application where, you know, to actually bootstrap the application and do a hello world, you have to make a class, then go public static void, arg, string, blah, 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 and then <laughs> system.out.println. Um, was it quite intimidating at first? Or did you really kind of feel like you got into it and you really enjoyed like the objects? you know approach to it i'd I'd say it was uh to begin with it was a bit harder to understand i mean obviously java as you say being an oo language completely different from languages such as c um and such uh you know grasping the concept of classes inheritance and and um uh, various features like that um it took a while to to really get into and you know i'm still learning and developing my skills um at the current company I'm with, um, in terms of OA, but, uh, it, yeah, I'd say it started out sort of being a bit of a mystery. Um, but I'm definitely 
definitely got the grasp uh, quite quickly, I think. Because I know that like our first, pro- what was our first year project was making like an Argos kind of ticket application type thing, like order application i'm sure that was something along those lines or was it a penny it wasn't the penny one the penny collection thing it's all these different examples that you get like you know throughout the years of university yeah you get you get a lot of it you get a lot of examples and applications you create and i find um they're a lot more trivial to what you have to deal with in the real world so yeah that that that's actually a really good kind of segue there because i uh, one of the, one of the real reasons why i want to get you on was because i feel you've got you know a really good place to talk about this is kind of that transition from university programming to real life programming um you know do you feel you know like i suppose what was your fir- firstly what was you know your favorite course what we favorite um lecture course or i suppose you say course um at university was it the was it the programming ones or was there any other one that you really enjoyed like the uml and the system architecture and system bi- i think it was called system building when we when we were there yeah, system building. Um, yeah, I mean, mainly, mainly it was the programming ones. The UML ones were were good, but um, interestingly, UML isn't as highly sought after anymore. Um, yeah, they, they they really did push that as kind of you know you have to design up front these massive diagrams before you go and build something, and turns out it's the complete opposite in the real world. When you got like um, you know the agile methodologies and, and such, um, yeah, you you don't tend to uh, focus on UML diagrams, so it was it was an interesting course and it was interesting to learn uh, various bits about net um, you know working. Um, um, but for me, it was always programming and mainly Java because we, as you remember, we did learn um, C sharp. We did indeed, eh? um, which is obviously very similar to Java anyway. But it was it was good that um, for one of our projects we combined um, well. We got Java and C Sharp to talk to each other via SOAP. That was that was actually probably to me a, a lot less trivial uh, than most of the stuff that we did. I think that was a lot more, yeah, kind of polyglot approach of using. I think what was it like? We had to, yeah, we had a JSP application and then we had a ASP.NET application, and I think we had to interface between yeah with SOAP using the you know lovely simple object access protocol. Um, which again, I mean, actually saying that, I mean, have you seen that in the real world being used? I think I've used it once in one project and that was it. Well, I mean, actually funny enough, we discussed it the other day, um, because we were talking about, um, obviously rest is sort of the main, uh, way of getting two applications to communicate with each other. Um, and obviously rest is, is pretty big now. And obviously when we were at university, they pushed soap quite a lot. And, um, to be fair, I haven't really seen it since so um I, I do wonder whether um companies actually still use soap to be fair i think it's got a lot of backing i mean the wisdom the idea of that the directory is kind of really a, a good idea i think it, it's very good for i mean i remember it being when i was using it because the funny thing was actually using it was a asp.net um soap service but i was interfacing yes. it with it using php which you know obviously isn't really it's kind of bread and butter you know language to actually interface with it because really what it's made for is is kind of big ides that you know you you download the skeleton files that then you're able to interface with and then it does all the conversion down and i mean for yeah i mean you know whereas now restful interfaces are so much more you know kind of encouraged because really it's dealing with the web as the web is um you know it's handling you know endpoints and handling the different ht methods and 
dealing with embeds and HAL and all this stuff. And really, yeah, I mean, at your workplace, do, do you deal a lot with different services? I mean, I'll put the, you know, microservices or, you know, and, and how do you transfer, you know, because it's, it's primarily it's a web company you work for. Web yeah, based. yeah, web, yeah, yeah, web company, dealing in contextual advertising. And, um, yeah, we have a ton of micro um, services. Uh, mainly, um, we use REST uh, with um, uh, JSON mainly. Uh, as opposed to XML, not that we're against XML, but uh, we primarily use JSON uh, throughout the applications. And generally, we separate our GUI um, and sort of web application from the actual um, API logic that would uh, perhaps retrieve data from the database. So, you know, at uni, so what, I suppose, really, what skills then? from the transition from uni to work really kind of helped you because i know we're saying like the uml really wasn't you know if you could go back in time really i suppose this is kind of looking with 2020 vision and think what things would you have wanted to learn at uni or what would you have wanted to know exactly when you when you come out or you got out of uni what would you want to know really what what are those things yes it's a good question um i'm i'm happy that at uni we had project management lectures um which discussed things like Agile. Um, that was very useful because uh, I didn't go into uh, into an Agile company without knowing the essentials. Um, but for me, I mean, I've had to uh, develop skills in um, test-driven development, so TDD, and pair programming, which sort of learn, learn about when you uh, discuss extreme programming. Um, so I think those were things I would have liked to have learned probably at uni, I suppose, because um, they are extremely useful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it's, it's a funny thing, because I, I, I mean, the way I kind of took uni was it was really, you were there not only for the course and, what and you know, for the end game of, you know, getting a degree, but it was also the fact that it was giving you time to actually go off and explore your own, you know, learning other things. And, you know, I think for me, pair programming would have been a really essential tool because, very much like at university you're kind of um we all we're all very because obviously it's grade you know eccentric it's grade minded you know copying cheating etc is bad but in the real world you know when you're dealing with projects you know the help you can get is invaluable when you work together um you know so having pair programming i think may have been a very good kind of maybe a, a good thing to at least work you know kind of work on and dealing with that and you know i think that obviously then works really well into tdd because i mean i didn't feel i mean i don't know um whether my, my <laughs> whether you know my lecturers and stuff for, for the project management courses weren't do it teaching the right things but for me it was very much kind of a waterfall model they taught me um they you know i didn't get um you know a grounding at all in agile um you know an, an xp or anything like that and you know i mean that's just been around since 1999 and we're still kind of teaching the waterfall models and stuff like that and building up front xm you know building up uml diagrams your use cases and stuff like that and you know i mean one of the the funniest examples i probably have is that um you know one of the lecture one of the, the, the actual i mean did you did system building two wasn't it i think was it called system building two or did you get out of there as quick as possible uh, i i got out of there it's not that i didn't like uml diagrams or, or whatnot um uh, to me it's probably the way it was taught actually to be fair um but a lot of the UML um, was being taught was quite traditional and I think outdated. Well, that, that's it, and like I think you know the 
uh, what my example is is that you know so in UML2 well no sorry yeah UML2 is, of course it is but it's system building too what we had to do is we had this contrived example of a bicycle uh, machine you know uh, system and we had to you know model this and we modeled it first we watched in teams model it first in UML uh, you know, building up, you know, you, you know, your use cases, your system diagrams, yes. whatever they're called, uh, sequence diagrams, all that stuff. Uh, and then you would build it from that. And it turns out, obviously, that when you actually go to put, you know, uh, you know, your, your finger to the keyboard and start typing yep. out code, you're like, ah, oh, this needs to change. And, you know, it doesn't go to the plan of the UML diagram. Um, it's very easy to to draw p- pretty pictures, but then once you've actually got the implementation in front of you, you know you're you're, you're really dealing with a different beast. Um, so you know having UML diagrams that are for aids may be helpful and may be good, and and I really think it's kind of for me very much the fact of are you getting your intent across to the person? You know, yeah. using these diagrams is a good aid sometimes to get that intent across, but it's definitely not an idea that I can draw out a UML diagram and that person's going to be able to implement that from that without any problems. Um, I think it will definitely make things easier if because it's you know you're you're going to be probably to make these diagrams and stuff you're going to be talking about a lot of things that things such as you know DDD now TDD um, you know BDD these these kind of things where you know you're very much talking constantly having good dialogue with the actual customer Um, you know these diagrams will then give you a lot more insight than just writing a text spec out but I still think you know you know that kind of maybe what would be better is if we had done a more of a good rep a smaller repl loop and you know use these diagrams but not to the extent of you know you first got your diagrams graded then you built the system it, it felt too clean cut too much like this isn't how real world works is it because if it does then you know <laughs> it, there's a reason why these books are out you know like because i mean I, I i kind of i knew about the kent Beck book uh the extreme program book and i knew about these things thinking everyone frowns upon you know waterfall model and these structures in the real world why are we getting yeah. you know why why are we kind of you know being you know, adv- you know advocated on it and that then makes you you know kind of think if they were to build these programs, you know, our lecturers and stuff, would they have taught, would that, would they have used these mythologies or would they have actually gone with what really works? And that is, you know, small feedback loops, the agile approach, um, you know, the extreme programming approach really. Yeah. I mean, uh, you'd, you'd like to think that they'd, um, worked at companies that were agile or, or on the same sort of level. Um, And also when, when, um, when discussing UML, I think, I don't think it's all bad. Um, I mean, uh, obviously, BDD is, is very good as well. It has use cases uh, similar to the way that you'd, well, you'd write them rather than you draw them in, in UML. Uh, but we still, we still use uh, some UML diagrams, sequence diagrams, for example, uh, perfect and um, use case diagrams. I think uh, are still very good. So how so how do you use them then? Do do you go into the the nitty gritty detail, or is it very much high level bird's eye sequence flows? Like you know, this is going to log in, but I'm not going to give you the parameters, or there may be a service in between that you know, just showing the flow, kind of the flow of data. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of high level. It's kind of more conceptual, um, more more for the CTO to see and go, okay, so that's how we 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 could do it. Um, you know, kind of plan it out because obviously, as you said before, with the, um, with any other sort of diagrams, you're going to be constantly revising them, um, which isn't a bad thing. But obviously, it can take time if you got well, it someone. Is, again, it's it's the thing like comments in code. It's you know, think it's 
external things from the code that need to be updated that will get out of date if you don't keep on them. Uh, you know, and if someone thinks, oh, that sequence diagram is related to the current project, it's like, no, that's all changed. Um, you know, then it's like codes, outdated code, outdated code comments. And, you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, it is, it is keeping them in doubt. And it is interesting you say that, you, you know, CTO, you give them to the CTO then. So is your, is the CTO, your CTO code-minded or does he prefer kind of looking at these these models to get the full, you know, the grasp that he needs? Um, I'd, I'd say he is... He is um... He's less code uh, minded than he used to be, uh, but he likes to um, kind of see, um, you know, kind of in a way how we'd implement it. Because obviously, uh, from that he can predict. Well, he can prioritize tasks and and um, work out what needs to be done. And I think he'd like assurance. Really, is 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 mainly what what he's after. No, I think that's good. I mean, that that really is where I think these diagrams work out really well is is kind of an overview of, you know, this is yep. how we're going to solve the problem in broad, you know, in broad brushstrokes. But when you get to the fine grained, and, and that's really where the course was, you know, I mean, the joke is you had, I can't remember what the package was called, but one of the UML packages that you could, you draw all your diagrams, and then you can yep. export the Java code. So it would generate the uh, objects yeah, for you. Yeah. And I just think that isn't how it works, you know, because these are two, you know, what's the point then? What I mean, then I kind of go to what's the point in having the diagram? Why not just have the code? You know, let, let's, the code is the running implementation. The code is the documentation then. We should, if you're going to yeah, that finer grain level, you don't need to do that. So, no, it's it's really interesting. I kind of got went on a bit of a tangent there, but no, UML diagrams <laughs> have kind of, and I mean, it's interesting that you actually used them because I haven't used one since I left uni. Oh wow! Really? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, we we don't obviously use them for every project and every single thing, but you know. Um, so one of the good things about working in a team is you can go up to, you say you've got a problem, uh, you can go up to a, a whiteboard, and you can sort of just That's draw it. a use yep. case. Because I mean, use case really all it is is a uh, is a stick man with actions. <laughs> it is really all it is. Yep. And again, with sequence diagrams, not hard to draw. Um, they give you some good direction. They might not be 100%, um, but it, it's good for starting, I would say. No, I definitely... Whiteboarding is amazing. Whiteboarding is the thing, but especially in teams and even on your own, just having that place to be able to just drop, you know, kind of like, you know, chuck brain dump, you know, kind of all these things and being able to kind of express. And yeah. I suppose maybe then... I haven't used UML in its strictest sense since I've left uni, uni, but I have taken parts of it, like, you know, kind of responsibilities and stuff like that, but probably not categorize them as, you know, uh, you, you know, like a use case diagram, but used it as, as long, again, as long, all these tools are there just to get your intent across and to design a good product. And I mean, there's things such as like, do you remember making CRC cards? Do you remember that? There was one thing we had to do. We had to build up the no. class responsibility. Uh, hang on here. I've got the, I've got the name of it again here. It's class responsibility <laughs> collaboration card. Oh, so blimey. on top of the card is the class name on the left, the responsibilities yes. and on the right, the yes. collaborators, other classes, which this class interacts to fill its responsibilities. And I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm saying that maybe in a, you know, kind of a blur way, but you know, it's funny that Martin Fowler actually, you know, says that, you know, these CRC cards are an alternative for UML sequence diagrams um, okay. and collaborate, you know, working out the collaboration and stuff and how they all pair together. Yeah. I mean, I suppose for me, 
the nice thing about sequence diagrams would have been and would be that you can know the time of you know collaboration you know and the flow of when it goes back and forth um mm. and i suppose what i'd like to know yeah. yeah um you know and it is also well it's funny actually i mean it's actually recommended by like ken beck and stuff as a teaching tool and it's also popular in front of extreme programs so class crc i've, I've never again i've never used one of these since leaving university but maybe you know this official kind of defi- definition of it would be a good idea kind of bit in the pack of cards and being able to write these things out i mean i typically yeah. you know whiteboard a lot of things you know a lot of classes and how they're going to flow between a lot of them but eventually what happens i find is you get into once you've got a kind of an idea then you just get hit the keyboard and you start prototyping um you know and i mean yeah. from, i know that you're saying about tdd you know and, and i probably don't do tdd as enough as i as i need to as i should do i suppose um you know with my upfront test and then implementing it yeah. like that and but i have definitely you know even this week on my pro- personal project i found that doing tdd in testing up front really does help guide yeah guiding your design by test really does help mold a better implementation when implementation you never would have got there unless you'd done it through tests first because you would have you know made it more complicated and stuff like that and i suppose yeah. how do you do tdd then at your work because i know that you're very much kind of for it and you know with it you know on a day-to-day basis yeah tdd we we well, i wouldn't say we're strict with well we're fairly strict with um but yeah for us it's about um obviously increasing code coverage uh which is obviously um pretty critical to us but also, as you said, uh, quite rightly, um, it can simplify the design and it, it can help you um, cover all bases. For example, you have your positive cases and your negative cases. Um, as simple as like checking if something's null, um, does it throw an exception? That sort of a certain. Um, you can plan out and then from that write your code. And, and obviously it helps you to... Um, uh, refactor as well and um yeah we we use it uh we're, we're constantly doing tv and we do it in pairs as well so how how does that work then just does do you both write the tests or one of you write the test one of you implement how, how do you kind of play that game of of tennis okay so um interestingly uh one of the members of the team um goes to code dojos um in london uh, where obviously you pair with someone um, you've never met before and code away. And so the way that they do it in the code dojo is someone uh, writes a test, the other person implements it, and then you swap That's and you keep going cool. through this. So you're you're constantly engaged. The other person can obviously comment on, okay, maybe you know you should consider this or or, or possibly um, we should write a test for that. And you, you, you both, you both basically um, are directly involved uh, with both writing the tests and coding. So no one's left out of the loop. Um, no one's sat there thinking, "Please, can I code now?" Yeah, yeah, uh, that's it. Can I be a? It's like it's my turn. Tag me in, please. Exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're both you're both um, actively involved, and I, I think it's a good way to do things. I really do. No, I mean, that's a good... And at work then, like, how... 
how does it work at work do, do you kind of look at problems that you're dealing with and then say okay i think this is going to be because I, I do feel i know that obviously huge tdd advocates you know will say that tdd is right for everything but i do feel there's right you know there, there's better suited uh you know better suited problems for tdd and do, do you do, do that way or are you very much blanket everything is tdd or if you do kind of, I mean, there was an interesting, I was listening to a full stat radio podcast um, a couple of days ago. And one of the, one of the things was, well, you know, kind of driving through TDD, like, you know, when you're halfway through a, 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 a like a fat, you know, a, a loop, you know, kind of, you know, red rego- a cycle, sorry, you know, yep. what do you, you know, say like, oh, bugger, I've kind of got this bit wrong. I know I've got this wrong. Do I revert back and delete all the, you know, and go back to the beginning, you know, where it's back to red, rewrite that test and then green and that, you know, go back again. Or do I, you know, have to go way through it, you know, finish it and then go back? Because I think, you know, when you think with changing things and stuff like that, you can get yourself in a bit of a mess with tdd i mean that may be my just uh, saying i suppose like how do you do it do you do you tdd everything or do you only tdd the bits that you feel need that kind of care i mean tdds uh, we we try to uh, do it throughout all of the projects but i, I do i mean there are certain scenarios for it and um there can be parts i mean so tdd is something that can be quite of a steep learning curve because it's um it's a it's a really hard discipline i think to grasp and i think i'm still very much trying to learn it i mean it took me a while so i um so the cto that we got currently now uh he didn't he wasn't at the company originally he joined uh, i think uh it was a year or two into uh, when i obviously started working and he introduced tdd to us and uh for me at first it was like wow, you have to write your test first, and you have to think about this before you actually code. It was, it was a, a completely different way of thinking of things. Um, and as you uh, you mentioned about, you can get yourself into a mess. You you certainly can, because um, the one thing you don't want to do is overcomplicate things. That's so it. What, yep. So what some people do is that they're they're right. Um, I've had the same problem. I've written a test. Um, and then I've gone and written the implementation, write another test, and I've now decided that, okay, that code actually could be moved to another class, which is kind of premature, because now that means that I can't finish the whole of this test class until I move to that test yeah. class and finish. You have to go through the refactor. You have to finish it off, spend that time to finish it, then hit the refactor phase, then do the yes. work. Yeah, I think and you can definitely get yourself stuck yeah, in that. Yeah, I mean, are, are you strict to that? <laughs> I mean, how do you work with it? Do you because I know that there's 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 like almost three ways you could go. You could either do the change there and go like, okay, this is broken. I'm I'm killing. You know, you know, Kent Beck's killing me. Mm. You know, looking down at me is you know looking down at me. Yeah, because <laughs> obviously he's up in the sky. You know, this Kent Beck TDD machine looking down, yeah. saying, oh, I can't believe you've done this. And you know, Uncle Bob's like, why are you doing this? How dare you change? You know, without doing the, the religious red green recycle loop. Um, and then, or you go back and you say, okay, well, I'm going to, everything that I've done for this, you know, this cycle, I'm going to get rid of and delete. And you just start again. And you then, you know, say, I refact, you know, and then you kind of do it all and you re-implement it a whole again, but with the way you were going to do it. Or yeah. do you work through the problem to the end and then do the refactoring? How, how do you do it? Or is it kind of as per, you know, the, the use case that you, you've got at that time? 
I think it's a mixture. You're open to changing the way that you do it. I mean, obviously the red green, uh, the red. Um, obviously, so you begin with a failing test, um, and then you get it to pass the simplest way you can, um, i.e., return a hard coded value. So that step you could maybe miss. Sometimes it's not necessary, um, and then obviously you implement it to pass correctly, and then refactor and. Yeah, because in the book, you know, in the TDD book, you know, it was very interesting. That was one of my, sorry about, I've completely gone off, but there was one thing that (laughs) really made me think a lot about TDD was I used to joke and say, well, well, yeah, what's the point? Okay, I've got a calculator and the test is two plus two and I return four, Uh, you know, you know, and I'm like, well, that's my first test done. Now I need to do another test. And actually it's in the refactoring stage of that test that you should think about actually changing it from four to actually know this neon needs to do you know deduplicate because technically you're duplicating information there you've got the two plus two and also then you've got the four and you know those implicit are actually duplications and that's a refactoring uh-huh. uh, and that really opened me up saying actually all oh, right okay so refactoring step is really crucial and really important and really i think it's actually the hardest part of tdd in my opinion it's, de- it's definitely one of them because obviously once you've got it to to pass in, in a maybe a um, not not messy code kind of way, but you, you've you know you have exactly... you've done all the sins. You know you can sin as much as you want. Is what Ken Beck says. You know, <laughs> as long as you can get that to go green, you're fine. Yeah, you you can, and then obviously after that, you need to make sure that then you, you need know, to fix you your can, mess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can make things abstract, or if you can move it to a separate class, or um, basically, <laughs> yeah, um, separation. Um, of responsibility and all that, you, you have to come back to him. It, it is an art to do TDD. Um, um, I do use it in my personal projects as well, which to a lot of people is a surprise um, because, you know, with with um, more trivial kind of examples and applications, it doesn't particularly work, I would say. But um, with uh, enterprise uh, software, I believe it does, and also I would say one thing that helps, um, one thing that goes in, hand in hand with TDD would probably be um, the necessary evil of mocking. Yeah, now um, that is a really interesting. To uh, ha- what is your opinion on mocking? Are you a mockist or a classist? <laughs> so yeah, I think sometimes so mocking is useful. It should be used if it can be used. But if, if you mock too much, what you find you're, you're doing is your your tests are just a complete mock of the implementation. So, um, you're it testing means the that, mock, not the actual implementation. Yeah, you're, you're testing the mock, and, and it does seem wrong. And, and I have had to f- fight with the idea at work at times. Um, but, you know, where mocking can come in handy is that in the refactoring step. For example, um, you want to move some code to another class, um, but you don't want to do the implementation quite yet. You would obviously mock the class, mock the return value. Um, that will get your test to pass, and, and then do your implementation. So, mocking can be useful, but there is um, there is a fine line. I think yeah, and I think mocking kind of is a really bad word to use because <laughs> yes. the the real word is test doubles. 
and yep. you've you know test doubles are split into a couple of you know a couple of types and you've got you know you've got your dummies and your dummies are the dumbest of the lot all that does is abide by the fact that yeah i'm just here because i, I don't do anything but i'm here just to abide by the fact that you know m- your parameter list requires me you know irrelevant yep. you know kind of things and it's never going to be used and it's only there just because the compiler needs it or the interpreter needs it um then you have your stubs and your stubs are yep. as you were talking about like return just a, a known value you know so a stub could return for two plus two four or it could have you know be a bit more clever and say oh if you pass me the you know the email address cheese at email.com i'm going to return you cheese but if you retard me the word bob at email.com i'll return you bob it has a known out return you know you know what's going to be returned and it's probably going to be in a lookup table or something or just a hard-coded value in the stub uh then you have your um then you have your spies and your spies and your mocks and you actually have mocks and that's where it gets into it because you've got spies mocks and then you have your fakes fakes are a real implementation like an in-memory one that could actually even be used uh you know sometimes people find actually i don't even need you know to have a data persistence store here i can just use this in-memory one or something and you know a fake is exactly like the real you know the implementation you're going to use in production but maybe you've taken the fact that you know you 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 know speed you know you want to be quicker you want it to be you know easier to test etc like that but i suppose spies and mocks could be used and can be used almost in the same way it's where they get their assertion from and it's where they get their valid you know with validation from so i suppose how do you test do you test just with using because i think then we just have things like mocks and you've got mockery in php you've got like j mock i think in java and things like that where you're just like oh i'm going to mock everything and really <laughs> i'm just going to use the blanket term of mock even though i mean this is actually a dummy this is a stub you know are you quite explicit with your naming of these things but i suppose with a mocking framework you can't really be unless the framework really does kind of lend towards that you know you're going to get into oh i expect this value and return this value and then you're like oh actually that's, that's a stub really you know but people just assume mm-hmm. oh it's just mocking stuff because then when you say oh and it should only be happening once and you're like ah okay that's not a stub anymore that's a mock that's actually asserting there's an action flow on it and stuff and you're saying okay that's yeah, calling so you know that's that's actually you know cool you know cool messaging and you know message passing going into the oo stuff of like actually hang on a minute so i suppose sorry i'll kind of like again challenge a massive tangent there but <laughs> Do you, what do you do? do? Do you split them up into the five categories, or do you just say I'm I'm mocking this? Um, yeah, we so we use Makito, um, obviously Java based library, and and hello. Um, hello buttons. Oh, sorry about that. That would That's be right. that'd be uh, Yeah, so we use Makito, and really um, we use stubs more than anything. So. Um, Again, I'm going to use mocking, mocking the return type or stubbing the return type. Um, but we also, yeah, use mocks in the in the way that we validate how many times a method's been called. Or you imagine you know, validate called. the flow, and you know that this is going to get called and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and when it gets called, and why it gets called, and what it gets called with. Yes, I think also I'd, I'd like to mention about um, obviously with injection um so with injection and annotations in java you have the annotation you have the annotation annotation inject mocks um now what this means is that every class that has been defined and every method that has been called you have to mock now 
So really? you're for- yeah, you're forced now um, to actually mock everything. So, 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 say you've got a, a class A, and in the constructor, yes. I require a B and a C. Yes. Um, so, what does that mean then? It means then that to instantiate it, I need yeah. I need a, a mock. Yeah. I, I couldn't just use a dummy. I, I need an actual real mock. Yeah, um, you'd need a mock of. Well, no, I think you can use a dummy as well. But, but um, the way we, yeah, the way I've seen it mainly be used is that um, you in you create a mock for B and C in the constructor. Um, And if B and C are, you know, if they're calling methods um, of of B and C, sorry, if B and C um, methods are being called, you also have to mock those. Uh, Yeah. So, because, I mean, that then gets me into, again, with these mocking frameworks. I mean, they're great, but I actually prefer the real classes. I... I know it's more lines of yeah. code, but I prefer, you know, one of, there was a really good tweet a couple of days ago where it was like, you know, if you need to mock a concrete implementation, you know, you're doing it wrong because, you know, really it should be an interface that you, you're mocking, you know, an interface, sorry, an interface you should be, you know, either stubbing and stuff like that because what I'm essentially doing, because I mean, one of the beautiful things about Ruby and stuff like that is you can monkey patch, so, you know, say, oh, I can use the real implementation, but I can just override the save method so it doesn't actually do a save or it does a spy instead right. or something like that. And, that's, and that's, yeah. that's great, you know, I mean, that's nice, but it's not really to the form of actually, you maybe you designed there, maybe you should have actually abstracted out the idea of, well, this is a, you know, this is an implement, this is a persistence, you know, this, this should have a persistence, yes. you know, and you should comp- use composition and, and build it up that way. You know, and you should be able to say, okay, I'll pass in my persistence implementation. And, oh, for the test, actually, I'm just using this spy persistence because I just want to know if it gets saved, you know. Um, And, you know, for me, that makes more sense than this whole trickery of taking advantage of the fact you can override methods and stuff like that. And, you know, because another way that you get around it is you extend the class and then you override the method. So you don't have to do monkey patching, but you can still do, you know, you know, we're using inheritance, etc. You know, the idea of monkey patching. But yeah, I mean, so with you, what, what what do you feel? Do you feel the same that you feel that you know, if if you need an implementation like a, if you need to mock it, you know, yeah. and it's a concrete implementation, it should really be an abstraction instead. I think I'm making that making sense. I'm not sure. It's quite late. <laughs> it it kind of makes sense, but I mean, I'd I'd like to say that you know, with, with mocking, there's certain things that you you should or or will want to mock. Like for example. You've mentioned it already. The date, the database. Of, um, so again, we, 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 when you say this is a thing, like when you say mock, you mean st- uh, like test double. Yeah, kind. Of, yeah, yeah, like a like a test double, or, or yeah, it is a test double really. But yeah, it's quite confusing with all the the amount of terms you have. For well, that's it because I think I think mock. <laughs> you know, again, because you're mocking, and then it's a mock, and it's. I think they I, the people they said that the people who actually made the the term mock didn't actually know that it was going to get used in this way, uh, you know, because it's yeah. kind of become a, a, you know, a blanket term where actually test doubles, you know, it's, I'm going to use a test double here because I don't want to hit the real persist, you know, the real implementation. I don't want to have to go through the mill of checking that, to see if Postgres yeah. or MySQL actually has this entry. I just need to know if it actually even got called. So I'll use a spy or I need to know how many times it would get called. So I'm going to set up front. Okay. I need to know that this gets, you know, called up front, you know, this time and that'd be a mock. Um, I think so. I think um, the database. I think if you have control over that database and your app can talk to it, um, I would say integration tests are probably better 
where you can obviously insert data into the database, um, do your assertions based on that, and then tear down. I think that's a good way of that, using. Yeah, I mean that that is the great way of like you know tear you know what is it set up and tear down, and then you know you really yep. roll back all the changes that you've done to the database. But exactly. I think you can then go for more kind of like more fine grained and say okay well i'm going to do a contract test to say okay i need to make sure that this once like when i insert this into the database it comes looking like i'm meant to you know it's meant to look and then anything else could just still use a, a test double because i'm assert you know sure that that the test yeah. that i'm doing for the contract is working so in in essence everything that is using my test double will work now because that test is te- is working if that makes sense it's passing so you're, yeah, not really, to, you're not having to sense. always hit the database, you know, all the time and assert that because you've yes. got one test that says, look, if you're going to put your persist this, if you store this, it expects it to be stored. Now, I know that that implementation works. It works exactly how I want it to work. I don't need yep. to in all the other tests, even if it's an integration test with integrating between different, you know, bits in the system, need to know. I mean, mm. once you get up to the level of functional tests and stuff like that, it's more kind of, yeah, I want to down test the whole thing. And then when you want to get acceptance tests of saying, okay, does it do what the user actually wants? Then, yeah, you you also would probably want to do the whole, you know, the whole story the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if um, one of your user stories was given... Um, you know, given an API, um, well, not even an API, given a, a given a user logs in or, or something, you know, and you know behind it you've got an API for authentication or whatnot. Then you're going to want to do the whole user logs in to the point where it calls the service, gets a response, and user logs in successful kind of thing. Um, so that would be sort of a full scale. Well, that's more of a, a system integration test, I suppose. I think testing is such a. I mean, it'd be really cool to get you on again, man. If you if you're up for it, like to do a full episode on just testing, because I think like we've kind of co- you know the whole conversation is kind of then drawn to that. Because I think definitely in my definitely. eyes, you're you're very much you know into your testing, and at work you're very much kind of into that. And I suppose. Work sent work wise, like what what's your stack at work then? I know I'm assuming I mean the audience probably assuming it is Java based. It is Java based, yep, yep, it is Java based. Um we are so our microsystems run um on Jetty. So we use Jetty. Um uh we use MySQL uh well we use RDSs and RDSs, uh which are MySQL based. And yeah, we're very much um in the Amazon infrastructure with our servers and, and such. And how, how do you like, uh, what's your infrastructure? Yes, your infrastructure is like Amazon. And how do you orchestrate and like, you know, deal and like provision your servers and stuff? I know that you've got quite a, quite an interesting kind of setup for that. <laughs> yeah, with, um, so yeah, we're setting up um, servers and, and as you say, provisioning. Uh, we use, and I'm sure some of the audience may know, Puppet. Um, so we use Puppet to uh, install the applications and set up directories and um, and all that. And obviously, if we're deploying, we'll use uh, Jenkins. Um, and uh, we use, uh, for deployment, we're currently using uh, Fabric scripts, which um, I don't so, know. Yeah, so what are, fa- what are Fabric scripts then? Are, are they similar to like Ansible? Kind of like it just goes down into into SSH calls or... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know Ansible too much, but yeah, essentially what it is is a it's um, a Python script 
which has a, a ton of helpful methods for SSHing into server uh, servers. Sorry, um, uploading artifacts, tarring them, you know, whatever you want, really. Um, so yeah, it's probably a bit like what you said with Ansible, really. That's really cool, man. Um, and how's your experience been with Puppet? Are you are you enjoying it? So uh, we well we got introduced uh, to Puppet through uh, a colleague of mine, which has now left. Um, so you can imagine <laughs> they, they, they ran away, and now you're like crap. Got to deal with this. Now. Well, so they were the ones that set it up, and um, I guess we didn't know too much about it when they were setting it up. So we've had to kind of learn it more, I'd say, since he's left. Um, it's I think the the thing is Puppet is is good for what it does, and it's probably the best one out there. You've got Chef and and various other ones, but Puppet seems to be a winner, I would say. Um, I'd say the thing is, it's it's not whether it's bad or good, it's whether it is done correctly, for yeah, example. It's, and it's, yeah, it's whether you use it structure. right. Don't blame the tools, it's how you use them. Yeah, it's, it's it, I mean, I would say Puppet is a similar thing to OO, where you have modules, and your modules should be generic. Um, so they shouldn't be specific or application related so it shouldn't be you know my app um tomcat setup or my app engine setup or whatever it should be modules which are very much you know reusable uh, and good abstractions exactly i I treat puppet the same way as i would a java project in a way obviously completely different um but it, it shares similar things when it comes to modules and well modules i would say as as like classes for example that's really cool man and i mean i suppose like the last question i do have for this episode because we're almost at the hour mark is what would you what would you say to people coming out of uni now um and you know they want they're looking for their first programming job what what kind of things would you say you know what what like really what kind of helpful advice would you have for them so i would i would say that um you know before they go find a job, um, to, you know, research, as I said, uh, TDD, paired programming, agile methodologies, um, all these tools are pretty much what the industry wants. And I think if you get a head start, you're, you're definitely going to be on, on the right track. And, um, and obviously, you know, build some sample applications and whatnot to get used to it. And, and, um, and obviously, beyond that, look into, you know, more more DevOps style, but look into HTTP servers and, and you know, all these things I think will be crucial um, in the job that they get um, uh, after uni, really. So I think, you know, fair enough, uni's finished. You can, you know, be happy, you know, you get, you know... Um, you're set up to to go for a job, so you think, um, but and then you realise that you know you're constantly learning, and really the learning starts when you're out of uni, and then it's like real learning, real world learning. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, you, I can understand universities can't teach you everything. Um, unfortunately, they give you they they give you the um, the fundamentals to get um, get started for you to yeah for you to sort of develop and. You, one thing I'll say is, you know, as a software engineer, you're constantly going to be learning. There's there's not a day where you don't learn something new. That's that's actually probably one of the best things about it. It's 
it is a constant changing and you're always gonna you know even even if you have a really crappy day you're gonna probably have learned something new that yeah i really take that as well yeah i'd say you know um you know you can learn about nc java beans and, and um things like that at, <clears throat> you can learn about ejbs and and um enterprise java solutions at uni but i also say don't expect um every company to do it that way um but yeah just um as i say just keep keep learning keep um researching in your spare time uh definitely you know set up github or bitbucket projects yeah, I mean, like, uh, have you got any resources? Any anything that you kind of daily check? Are you a hacker news guy? Are you a Reddit guy? Um, yeah, sometimes Reddit. Sometimes, um, I mean, Life Hacker has a little bit of a section of programming, from what I remember. And yeah, just if you, you know, if uh, you encounter terms you don't understand, uh, that maybe your uh, program friends that also have a job um you know talk about don't be afraid to not know it just research and um find out the term and you know if you know a lot of helpful resources are out there like as you mentioned kent beck resources uh one thing i would definitely say and this is um hopefully something that ed agrees with uh, uh i would definitely say clean code and clean coder yes one of the plus one to that definitely that changes the way you look at programming. I found. Yes, it's changed. It's changed definitely the way that I've programmed, and I think I've become a programmer for reading that. There's plenty of other resources out there, like the Pragmatic Programmer, but um, I definitely vouch for um, Uncle Bob. Absolutely. Well, thank again. Uh, thank you very much um, for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. It's been great having you on, and fi- well, finally having you on. And hopefully this will be the first of many because I feel it's gone really well and I'm sure the audience have loved uh, listening to your background and like our, our discussion on testing. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the chat. Um, uh, definitely enjoyed the discussions and I'd definitely be keen to discuss more um, on another podcast if you'd awesome. like. All right then, well, audience, uh, this is the end of Three Days and a Maybe for this episode. Um, yes, yeah, see you next week. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three, Devs and a Maybe.